Christian Parenting. Well, welcome back to the Journey Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Pitts, and I always say I'm excited or really excited for this episode, but this time I actually really mean it because oh. <laughs> I am, I am, uh, she already introduced herself. I am sitting with uh, a person who has literally changed my life, um, a person who I didn't know, I guess about 16 months ago, who I met 15 months ago, who we, what we've said is uh, we came from opposite sides of the kingdom and really opposite sides of the world as well. So with me today is my fiance and my now best friend and my favorite, I was thinking about how I would say this, my favorite adult person, Peter Sargent. I had the, the reason I say my favorite adult person is I was like, oh, I've got these four daughters. Maybe I should say my four, my favorite person. I'm like, but anyway, my favorite adult Maybe person, Peter Sargent. Maybe I should Peter say Sergeant. my fifth favorite person. <laughs> my fifth, no, I wouldn't say that. By the way, Funny. as you can tell already, she has a pretty awesome accent. So let's start with that. Uh, Peter Sargent is her name. She hails from, where do you hail from, babe? It's it's cooler when you say it. Uh, I hail from Australia. Well, actually, I was born in Malaysia. My mom is Malay Chinese. And um, my dad was in the Australian Air Force during the Vietnam War. So I was born in Penang and um, became a citizen in Australia pretty early on. Immigrated, is that what you say, to the U.S.? Immigrated, yeah, immigrated to Um, the U.S. Got your citizenship a couple years ago, right? Yes, I did. So. Um, just, to, really what I want to do is in this podcast, which is probably going to be a, a longer conversation. I want to introduce you to literally a woman who has changed my life and, um, someone that I didn't actually think could exist, like who she is as a person, but then also someone who's just got an epic God story and, um, who I think, um, you'd learn from to hear. And um, so anyway, I'm just excited to share a little bit about her. And I want to ask her the question at some point. We were trying to decide if it's how has God rescued you or, or how has God rescued you or what has he rescued you from? It's kind of a similar question, but I want to, I want to ask her that. I might ask her that multiple times because she's definitely had um, just some different ways answers. that God's, yeah, <laughs> God's met her multiple ways. So I'll start by saying um, I'll never forget. She'll never forget because we have, and we, maybe we'll say it from our two different perspectives, but the first from my perspective is um, I was, um, you know, uh, my late wife Winter passed away in July of 2018, and for the first six months, I was a man who probably didn't necessarily want to grieve and was just trying to. I had to just do what I had to do. I had to p- pick myself up my bootstraps and take care of my girls, and did that. And probably about six months into that journey, decided that I needed to start grieving. What's funny is that would have been January of 2019, and um, in the basement of this beautiful home, I would meet a couple who happened to be friends of Peta. Their names are Darren and Krista, and. Uh, I would walk in um, really kind of in a state of shock walking into this room, a room I'd been before um, or a home I'd been before um, and um, I'd never met them before. And uh, they they just said, hey, I was carrying a meal into this room, into this wine cellar actually. And uh, Krista goes, hey, uh, you with anybody? You want to sit with us? And I was like, okay. And I just sat down and I would tell my story um, over the course of probably, I don't know, an hour and a half or something like that to this couple. And long story short, I would uh, build a relationship with uh, this guy, Darren. Uh, Darren is the husband of Krista over the next year and a half. And it would be a year and a half later after much grief and probably processing um, the majority of my grief. I guess it's the only way I know how to say it. 
Darren would shoot me a text message one day. And we were actually just looking at this text message a couple of days ago. But essentially, he said to me, um, hey, are you are you dating again? Or are you thinking about dating? Something like that. And I just said, uh, I actually didn't respond for a while. He thought I was offended. And eventually, I just said, hey, I'm, I'm not really dating. I'm just taking care of my girls, playing lots of golf. And um, I'm open if God has a plan. But I'm not, I'm not seeking anything out right now. And he said, he said to me, well, what, I'm summarizing. What did you, what did you also say? You what did say, I say? You say, I'm picky. <laughs> oh, I did say I'm picky. I'm also very picky. And um, anyway, uh, we, I was actually just reading, we were reading the, the strand through and uh, mm. it was kind of a little bit embarrassing to kind of read the strand through with the girl that you were talking about. But anyway, I just responded and just said, I'm kind of picky and I'm not really looking. I'm enjoying golf and just, you know, being with my girls. And at that point it was COVID and I spent lots of time with my girls. And he said, well, I have a friend. And essentially he said, she's 40. She's single and she loves Jesus. Are you interested? And I said, well, can I see a picture? I mean, obviously that's what a picky guy would say is, can I see a picture? And he would share a picture with me and he would explain this uh, this woman that I really didn't think could exist. He's just like, you know, this is who she is. She's from Australia. She's an actress. And um, and ultimately he just start, started talking about who she is in Christ. And I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just thinking, yeah, I don't know. I don't think she can actually exist. But I said, um, what did I say? I'd be open. I'd be open to meeting her after after seeing the picture. Of course, I'd be like, I'd be open to meeting her. And uh, that's the that's the story from my side. And then there'd be two silent weeks, essentially. And then on the other side, something was happening, which I'll let Peter share. Well, you also left off another thing that I think is really funny because you told me this in the first um, Zoom call that we had, our first Zoom date. You said, I think you said something to me at the end of it, like, "Oh, I didn't think that." what Darren said kind of could exist. I couldn't correlate those two things. Like you love Jesus, you're an actress, all this stuff. But I think he told me that you said, he told you she's 40, she loves Jesus, she's single. And you said, what's wrong with her? Is she crazy? <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> I said, is she normal? Is that Oh, what did I you? Said, right? Okay. Yeah. I think I said, is she normal? Yeah. Um, I always tell the story by saying, is she, uh, said, is she crazy? But I, I actually said, is she normal? Yeah. Yeah. And she's, uh, turns not. out folks, she's not normal. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, I'll um, let her tell the story from her side. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know where it began, but I'll try to start close to where you started. Um, I suppose for people who don't know me, I'm divorced. And um, that was a, a huge journey, huge part of my journey, um, which we, I don't know, may or may not get into some of that. But anyway, I had this really extraordinary uh, five years of what I would call consecration. And I think really just the point at which uh, my ex-husband asked me for a divorce, asked me to leave, um, made it very clear he didn't want to be married anymore, um, was sort of this initiation point ignition point into a wilderness season which was really beautiful and really extraordinary and I really long for in this current season that I'm in I'm in a real running season a lot going on and obviously we're planning to get married and I'm working and you know but it, it was a really beautiful season a time of really deep consecration and covenant I think with Jesus and um I call it my Hosea 2 season. Anyway, I was just because of the level of intimacy, I think, that I was experiencing 
with Christ, which I hadn't really before. I feel like I had a pretty good relationship with the Father. I say pretty good because it was also somewhat still performance-driven from my end. Like any kid is like, Mm. am I good? Am I good? Do you think I'm good? I don't know if I can keep this up. (laughs) I'm trying to be good. Um, But a lot of that was healing in that season. Um, And I have always had a real fascination and a real intimacy and curiosity about the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit and the mysteries of God and the mysteries of the kingdom. But I'd always kind of had this sort of like, oh, this far and no farther shall you come with Jesus, Hmm. you know. And um, so, yeah, it was it was it felt like a wedding season, actually. It felt like a season of marriage, like a season of which is so I feel like it's so the Lord to bring you through a divorce, which was incredibly harrowing and traumatic and in a in a sort of marital sort of um season and actually my my divorce was the the whole process of separation was bookended by being a bridesmaid at two weddings so the whole thing was really themed in this way and you know one of those scriptures I love which is how I very much feel is in song songs uh eight I think it is it says who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved and um, that's kind of where I was when I met you. I was coming up from the wilderness, leaning on my beloved. And I was so satisfied in Christ. And, you know, you're going to ask me again later and I'll probably say something different because God has rescued me from everything. <laughs> rescued me like so many times from so many different things, from myself, from the world, from slavery, like all kinds of things. But um, I didn't really want to get married again. I had always been very terrified of being alone. I think that's one of the things that God really rescued me from that is really critical for every human being is to be rescued from the fear of being alone, the fear of loneliness, the fear of rejection. But in particular for me, it was, I was quite terrified of being alone and it was just something I didn't ever think that I could be or do or flourish in was being alone. And So it's just interesting, like I was in this season, I had this five years of deep consecration. It was so extraordinary. It was so intimate. I didn't even understand that there was a level of intimacy available to us on earth with Jesus in that way. And um, it was also kind of scary because everything got taken away. Like I shouldn't say taken away. It just, I didn't work. I had a full Sabbath year that actually was almost two years and like didn't work at all, didn't audition at all completely. You know, in Leviticus, it talks about in the seventh year, the land will have complete rest and nothing will be sown, nothing will be harvested. And I feel like that happened to me. And God was just sort of like, the land needs to be rested before anything else can happen. And um, anyway, I, I was having this coming back to, I guess, where we met, um, I was having this conversation with my sister um, because I wasn't really interested in getting married again or meeting anybody. I felt very satisfied in the Lord. Yeah, but I I really wanted kids and I always really wanted kids and um, I never had any with my previous husband and it was always a source of really deep pain and kind of turmoil and Anyway, um, I was having this conversation with my sister and she was kind of like, you're so nurturing and fun. And, you know, uh, my sister has two adopted children mm-hmm. and um, they're amazing. They've changed our family. Like they're just extraordinary human beings. Um, she was like, you should just adopt. Cause I was like, I don't really want to get married again. I don't, I don't feel like I need it. Like I, 
you know, I used to say this thing to people when I first became single, which was, you know, people would ask me like two years in, like, so are you ready to date? Are you, you know, what are you thinking? And I was like, I didn't know who I was. I'm only just learning who I am. Like, it's like God took me right back to the beginning, took everything away, paid everything back. And it was just me and him. And he was teaching me not only, I get really emotional thinking about it. Like he was teaching me about himself. He was teaching me about his love for me. He was teaching me about myself before I lost, before I was disappointed, before I was hurt, before anything. Like I remember him saying to me actually this thing once about innocence because I was really meditating in that season in Colossians about, in the Passion Translation it talks about, and I'm, I'm misquoting it, sorry, I know it's bad to misquote scripture, but it, <laughs> it, it, it talks about- I do all the time, you're fine, safe company. <laughs> it talks about um, now through the cross we are reconciled, all of us are reconciled back to original design, back to innocence. And I remember just thinking, like, what does that mean to be innocent? Like, what does it mean? And I, I was meditating on it a lot because I also was doing street ministry with um, sex workers at, at night on the street and all this kind of thing. And I was like, what does it mean to be innocent again? Like, And I felt the Lord actually say to me this thing, um, innocence is to hope without record of disappointment. Like, will you let me remove the record of loss? Will you let me remove the record? And that's why it's like a child. Because children, little children, like Jesus says, enter like little children because they don't have a record like adults do of like, well, what if, oh, but last time, you know, we have all this fear. And he was like, can you hope again without the record of what you've been through on earth? Because Mm -hmm. there's a record of who you are that predates that. I foreknew you. I made you. I know who you are before that. And so this really special time where God just was showing me myself, you know, it's funny how Paul talks about like, I can't remember where it is, babe, but where he talks about like looking in a mirror, you know, reading the word of God mm-hmm. is like looking in a mirror and the man who looks at, and then forgets what he looks like. It was like that. It was like a season of looking in a mirror, like, mm-hmm. It was so beautiful, so rich, so full, so intimate, so deep, so full of revelation, so gorgeous, really sumptuous time. And um, anyway, I was just like, who needs a man? <laughs> I have Jesus, <laughs> but I really want Little children. did you know how sumptuous <laughs> I would be, whatever the word is you just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, she has a really specific laugh, by the way, you just heard. Um, uh, anyway, and she also, by the way... Uh, Goes in if you ask her a question, don't ask sorry. her a question unless you want a full answer because she's going to give you the full answer. Oh, Keep sorry. going. Man. No, it's um, great. You're a storyteller. Anyway, so, you know, I'm talking to my sister. This is in the beginning of uh, 2020, right after the first lockdown for co- of, uh, because of COVID. I was living with friends, um, Krista and Darren, who were the same friends that you had met in the wine cellar in Orange County. Um, the year before if you don't know where that's at yeah Yeah, and um I was having this conversation with my sister I really want kids I don't really I just can't see myself you know what's funny that is now that we've had so much to kind of work through as we've gotten to know each other and decide to be in relationship and decide to get engaged and all of that now I realize there was an unconscious terror (laughs) (laughs) Mm. there was a lot of fear you know because when you're you know and that that's one of the scriptures 
that God gave me very early on. I think it's Isaiah 52, like, and it talks about it in 54 as well. Like, I will redeem you as a wife rejected in youth. Like, you know, and there's a really deep place where rejection out of covenant is extremely wounding and um, kind of critical in a, in a place of your identity as a woman. And so I didn't realize that as I was like, I don't need a man because I have Jesus and he's amazing. That was true. But now I'm like, oh, I think I also was like, I could never, I don't think I could ever trust anybody to receive me or to take care of me or to not reject me like that again. And so I was kind of like, I'm not into it, but I really want kids. And she was like, you should adopt. I've said that now like six times. I'm sorry. And um, you should adopt. And anyway, so having this from that conversation with her, it struck me as an unusual thing for her to say. She's very sort of black and white and, you know, do things quote unquote God's way. And it just kind of, I don't know, like somebody telling me to adopt as a single person with no income living in someone's office. (laughs) Kind of out of of order in a way. Yeah. I thought, oh, that's something that someone in LA would tell me to do. It's not something that my sister, who's like a missionary in Africa and like kind of a little bit more quote unquote by the book, I say quote unquote, because she's also just an amazing, wild, uh, beautiful lover of God. And um, so it, it sort of, gave me pause I was like oh maybe this could be God and I was running one afternoon and I was just chatting to the Lord about it as I was running and you know just asking him like what do you think what do you think about this would it be okay is it your best for me I mean I have a lot of love to give I don't have anything else that's sure would it be fair to a child to you know I don't know what do you think and before I really had a a chance to you know, hear what God said back, I had this almost immediate thought, which was, oh, never mind, God, I'm going to meet somebody who already has kids. Don't worry about it. And now, obviously, that I've met you, I'm like, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so the next night, I'm having dinner with Krista and Darren. Their kids go to their rooms and, you know, we're having a glass of wine and just chatting. And Darren sort of says to me, like, how are you feeling about dating? You know, it's been several years now. And, um, what are you, what are you thinking about it? And, um, I was like, yeah, look, I mean, maybe it might be nice to go on a date with someone who would treat me kindly, but I'm not really interested long-term. Like I'm definitely not ready to meet the one if there is a one, you know, um, maybe I could dip my toe in the water, but I'm not really there. And then he sort of got this quizzical look on his face. And then he said, how do you feel about somebody who has kids? And I was like kind of astonished because I had just had this conversation with the Lord the day before and had this thought, which I've never had before, like, oh, I'm going to meet somebody who already has kids and I'll adopt them. Like, And I just remember looking at him and saying, why did you just ask me that? And he said, I don't know. I feel like this name just kind of dropped into my spirit. And then his wife, Krista, she, before who's, he has it, who's a firecracker and essentially yeah, she, and a whole bunch awesome. of, yeah, she's an awesome wild woman as well. And, um, she, um, she, before he even has a chance to say who it is, she goes, John in Nashville, like this. And, um, he's like, no, sorry, she didn't say the Nashville part at that point. She just said, John. And he sort of looks at her astonished and says, yeah. And she's like, I heard John in Nashville. 
And she starts talking about this other John that they know in Nashville. And Darren's like, no, 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 no. He got remarried last year, not him. And she's like, well, what other John do we know in Nashville? I saw like John and Nashville and we don't know any other John in Nashville. And he says, yeah, we do. Jonathan Pitts. And she goes, Jonathan Pitts. (laughs) Wait, who's Jonathan Pitts? (laughs) (laughs) Which is really funny. And then he says, you know, Jonathan Pitts, who we met in the wine cellar at this conference. And she's like, oh, my goodness. And actually, he said in that moment, he he said, you know, he has kids. I think he has two kids. <laughs> uh, Not four, but two. I, I, know. I think they're younger. They're little. And I was like, okay, cool. And um, And he was like, he's a pastor in Nashville. And I just kind of was like, bang. No, (laughs) no, thanks. Um, That's not me. I don't feel like, you know, called to the church specifically. Like I know, I know that I'm called to the marketplace and to be out there in a certain way. I also very specifically feel, you know, called to Los Angeles. I feel like God's covenanted with me with the land and I've been on a big journey with the Lord about his heart for the land and, you know, all these things, which is where I was at the time, which is funny to say now that we're getting married and I'm moving to Nashville. <laughs> um, and, um, but, yeah, at the time I was kind of like, no. And and I think I was also just, we've had a lot of great conversations around the body and the church and healing and forgiveness and courage and conviction. I think that was also some fear too. Like I still had a bit of like apprehension and fear about different seasons where I felt maybe not understood or not received or um, maybe not, yeah, not understood and not received by the church, quote, unquote, you know, and not typical church material. <laughs> but uh, neither was Jesus, so I uh, got it. Okay. <laughs> neither is anyone else in church, so there yeah, we have that. Exactly. So, you know, I can just put my judgment away really is what it is. And so, yeah, anyway, so here we are. And, um, that was a long story. I'm sorry, but you got some of the other things that yeah, I guess. Are yeah. Part, part, of- part one, we'll be back for part <laughs> two tomorrow. <laughs> uh, anyway. So yeah, he says, this is that. why I hate talking without a script. Oh, it's all good. You don't need a script. We're good. I'm, so I'm loose. He, you kind of missed the what what happens. You did you say that you said you'd be open to meeting me? Oh uh, yeah, I I was kind of like, oh, okay, I don't know. Well, there's a bit about Michael. I don't know. If that's like you can say that part. It's pretty crazy. And this is, by the way, if you've heard Peter talk, you know, for any amount of time, which you've have for just now the last I don't know ten or twelve minutes or whatever. Uh, she's got a pretty intimate relationship with the Lord, and so she'll just talk about you know. Uh, just talk about him in a way that is really endearing because she talks to him, talks about him and to him as if he were that close because he is. But this is just another really pretty crazy story um, of God's proximity and the way he can, he can speak. But yeah, I'd love for you to share the story, Michael. I think it's pretty cool. So Yeah. So I was sort of like, you know, kids I'm into, but pastor in Nashville, not really. And so I just don't think so. He said, okay, cool. So, you know, what do you, what's on your list? What are you thinking of? And I was like, well, I don't really have a list. I really kind of messed it up last time choosing for myself and being kind of belligerent about what I thought was good for me and what I wanted. And like I said earlier, I'm only just learning who I am and I, I really want God's preference 
I really want what God has for me. And so I don't have a list because I don't know what's good for me. And then I said, you know, what's funny, it's not so much on my list, but there is one thing and it's not mandatory, but um, I was in Africa in um, that December and January uh, visiting my sister who lives there and um, we had just come back from a missions trip with some doctors and so I was looking after the kids while she was debriefing the team and I'm sitting in this coffee shop with my nephew and my niece and you know she's in her high chair eating and he's looking at this book that's I guess like a National Geographic kind of book you know lions and tigers and he's obsessed with big cats and so everyone's happy and um and then out of really nowhere he looks up from his book closes it and looks at me and says Annie Pete God says your chocolate husband is coming soon and he will be kind to you he will only have eyes for you. By the way, crazy. this this young man is how old at this point, do you say? It was either a week or two before or after his ninth birthday. So he's eight, either eight or just turned nine. Yeah, nine years old. He's also chocolate, by the way. That details probably. <laughs> just wondering if you were like, is he chocolate? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's African. Uh, he's African-Australian, which is, yeah, a wild thing to say. I mean, we were sharing that story with... Um, my Airbnb host recently here in Canada. And um, but yeah, by the way, she's in Canada right now. Yeah. And in the US, <laughs> it's been a long season oh, of separation yeah. simply because of COVID. Um, and gone. That, that's a whole other story. We'll get there, but keep going. Yeah. And it's funny because even when she was sharing, when, I, when we shared this story, I remember our friends sort of saying like, how does a nine-year-old even understand what it means to a woman to have a man only have eyes for her? You know, and there's no way Michael would have even ever known what I went through in my previous marriage or what that meant to me in that moment. Yeah, it just, it was one of those moments where I was like, what did you just say? Because he just, he just sort of, you know, I'm telling the story like, and he said, with all these epic pauses, but he, I mean, the reality was he just looked up and said, Auntie God says your chocolate husband is coming soon. He will be kind to you. He will only have eyes for you. And then he went back to his book. And I was like, well, stop, stop, stop. Anyway, so I tell that story to Krista and Darren and I'm like, so there's kind of that, like, it's not mandatory, but I feel like, you know, Michael said this thing and, and then Darren gets this really cheeky smile on his face and he goes, well, Jonathan's black. <laughs> yeah. he, and I just went, okay, give him my number. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just sort of was like, okay, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't feel... I was really nervous and, you know, you know, the stories and the other friends had, had tried to set me up, not set me up, but just like, oh, we feel it would be interesting if you met this mutual friend of ours at a 4th of July party the previous year. And I was, it, it just struck so much fear into me that the person introduced themselves and then I immediately went inside and all but hid in a closet for like six hours <laughs> until they left. Like I just had no, I don't know, I just didn't feel... Like I had any confidence. I didn't feel like I had any confidence to know, like, you know, which is a big part of that consecration season. Like I really came out of my 30s and I was 35 when I got separated and or 34 actually. And it, it was such a shock. It was so beautiful. I remember in that season, like having this revelation, like I don't 
I don't understand or have a grid for any value for myself as a woman other than as an object of desire, other than as a trophy or a prize, not in a good way. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think a lot of women experience that because, you know, girls are really lauded for being pretty or beautiful. And if you don't, it's very uncomfortable whether you are told you're beautiful or not. Most girls don't believe it. Some do, but I don't know, like it's just a, it's a tricky thing. And so I feel like even that was something that God sort of, it was almost like in that season of consecration, I also somewhat became invisible. God, God took over as my covering and that was a part of the reformation of my identity as well, just taking it away from everything physical, work, money, possessions, home, um, how I can physically present myself, how I can physically, not physically, but I mean physically as in literally with the senses, you know, engage and be winning or any of the places where I felt strong, I had completely let go of in five years and was just, I kind of felt like a a baby, I guess. Like it, I did feel very born again, again. And so that the idea of going on a date or something was, I was just, yeah, I can't even talk thinking about it. <laughs> like, mm. It was really scary. And um, anyway, so he, I think, gave you my number and texted you about the message that you talked about before. I know this woman, what do you think? And um, we ended up texting a little bit backwards and forwards and it was terrifying. The rest is history. <laughs> it was it's terrifying. terrifying. It was awesome. So the rest is history, except not. Nice. I love you. Hey, so if you've enjoyed listening to my podcast and um, you've been blessed in some way, then I would ask that you consider supporting the organization that actually helps me week in and week out produce my podcast, which is ChristianParenting.org. ChristianParenting.org is an awesome organization, um, nonprofit that is 100% donor funded. That is not only um, creating, has a podcast network that I'm a part of, but we also develop um, workbooks and books and tools and resources to help parents along in their Christian parenting journey. And so if you've been blessed in any way by my podcast or maybe another resource I've pointed you to through, through Christian parenting, I would love if you would consider giving a gift to support the work that I'm doing and the work that we're doing together at ChristianParenting.org. Um, best way to do that is you can text uh, CPGIVE, again, that's CPGIVE to 474747. Um, you can also go to christianparenting.org or you can go to cpgive.org in order to give a gift. Would love if you would consider giving a gift to help not only my podcast and the production of my podcast, but um, even more than that, all the different things that Christian Parenting is doing to helping Christian parents just like me and just like you who are perfectly imperfect on their way to being um, more perfectly imperfect, but, you know, growing in our relationship with Christ, with our children and leading our families. And so would love if you consider giving a gift again, CP give, you can text CP give to 474747 or go to cpgive.org and uh, you can give a gift that way. Thank you so much for your consideration and, uh, would love, love, love your support. Thanks and God bless. So I wanted to take a moment just to let you know about a resource that I'm going to take advantage of this year that I hope you might take advantage of this year as you go into the new school year with your kiddos. And it's a prayer journal called Joyful, Patient, Faithful. And it's a prayer journal that um, Christian Parenting has put on um, and created that is 
all about praying for your kiddos as they're going into school. And if there's ever been a time that um, I know for me as a Christian parent, I felt somewhat defeated and incapable and lacking in resource um, to parent well going into a school year, it's this year. I mean, there's so much happening culturally. There's so much happening um, that stands against us as Christian parents. And I would just say, like, if there's anything that can ground you, it's believing and leaning into the scripture in Romans 12, 12, which says, be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And so I want to be really faithful in prayer. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is by taking advantage of this resource, um, the Parents Prayer Journal for the 2021-2022 school year. Again, it's joyful, patient, faithful. And uh, you can find that resource by going uh, to cpprayer.org and uh, you'll learn how you can get that. Um, But it's just a beautiful resource to help you just stay on track with praying for your kiddos and praying specific prayers. Yeah, would love if you would consider uh, grabbing a copy of that because I think it'll really aid you as you think really maybe thematically about how you pray and how you pray for each of your kids specifically. Just a great tool for that. So again, cpprayer.org, go grab yours now. You will not regret it. The thing I want to do, it's this is going to be a longer conversation than I even thought. I'm like, oh, this is, I thought it was two conversations. <laughs> but the one thing I want to say, it's interesting because you said that God rescued you from um, the fear of being alone. And then you go into the season of consecration where, I mean, you've told me that entire story where you spend an enormity amount of, uh, an enormity of amount of, mm, you know what I'm an trying enormous to say, a lot of time, time. <laughs> enormous <laughs> amount of time alone. And you know, it's funny because I'll ask you, I mean, just based on just other parts of your story and how you met the Lord, which we'll get there and all that kind of stuff. But like this reality of being, I'm like, I don't understand that the woman who you are and how you talk and who you are, how you how you can be who you are, how you can talk like you can talk, how you know scripture like you know scripture, how you can relate to God like you relate to God. I don't know how you get all that. And you said to me, I'll never forget it, basically that you're bene- you said you're benefiting from me and Jesus being, I don't even remember how exactly how you said, but me, me and Jesus being like completely together all the time for essentially those five years and yeah. whatever total amount of time is close to that amount of time. And it's interesting. He rescued you from a fear of being alone. Then you became okay with being alone, not even just okay with it, but actually maybe preferring it to only then be put into a relationship with not just some dude, but a pastor of all kinds of people. And so, I don't know, it's just a, it's a, just a summary thought I wanted to kind of put on yeah. this part of the conversation because I've never thought about it like that before because you've never it's, talked this yeah, way. Yeah, it's so. funny. I've never thought about it like that either. Like, I think that's what part of the, the, the in Christ likeness, in his way, in his following after him, he does make us go through the valley of the shadow of death. And for some of us, that is literally facing death. And for some of us, it's a death to self in facing our worst fear and realizing, and I've never thought of it like that. Oh yeah, God delivered me from my greatest fear by putting me right in it. I mean, he didn't put me right in it. You know, I don't think that God was like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll divorce, I'll get yeah. you divorced. Like, you know, I don't think, I don't see it like that, but all things do work together for the good of those who love him and he was definitely in the process. He was definitely there. And I think I, I wanted to share this actually, like, it's funny. I, I knew that you were going to ask me like what, what, what I, I had been rescued from. And I mean, <laughs> because she's a woman with a script normally, she's got pages in front of her. No, right it, it's not that it was just that there was a couple of scriptures I wanted to read because mm-hmm. 
I thought like I was trying to think of how I can be succinct or how I can say this or that and you know I was kind of like there's really only one way to say it and it's literally the word of God because I think that's what happened in that season I had never read the Bible much for myself I mostly had like listened to teachings listen to podcasts go to church um or not you know I had huge seasons where I wasn't doing any of those things and but I hadn't spent deep amounts of time like literally in the Bible by myself and um and so in that season I just couldn't I was so hungry I couldn't get enough of the word because like I said it was like looking in a mirror I was so hungry I was so thirsty I didn't know who I was I was already saved but and I remember like I would call friends and be like I just read this in the Bible did you know that this is in the Bible because it is literally like, it's not just a script. Like people talked about it like a manual for life or a script for life or a how-to. And I was like, no, this is a testament to what it is to be human. Mm. This is living water. Like I'm reading things in the Bible that I didn't know were in the Bible that I just lived through. I'm wow. writing things in my journal about the way that Jesus is embracing me and holding my neck and doing, and then I'm reading it in the Bible going, oh, I just wrote that yesterday. Or like some of it was quite literal and some of it I was like, this is, it was kind of spooky almost. <laughs> like I was just, even the thing about Leviticus, like I had this full year Sabbath and God led me into it. I didn't know that was in the Bible. I'd never read the book of Leviticus. It had never been taught to me. No. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I was in Africa and God said, to, God told me to read the book of Leviticus and I was reading it. It was a tough book to read. And I remember at multiple points, like this book is hard to read and it's, I don't understand. And, you know, when it's listing out the laws and I'm like, this is a lot. And not, not necessarily that it was boring, but it was harsh and mm-hmm. so thorough, like, punitive and and I felt like the Lord said to me like so that you know what you've been rescued from so that you know you've been rescued from the law like you'll you know like this is impossible for you to accomplish it's easy to say like we could never accomplish the law but what if you don't even know what that means or what that is and then I remember leaving Mozambique and heading into South Africa and God told me to he said to me you haven't finished reading the book of Leviticus I want you to finish it before you um, go on your missions trip, which was in the Western Cape in South Africa. And I was in Johannesburg at this point. So I remember getting up at sunrise and reading the last few chapters of Leviticus. And there it was, like in the 49th year, like it talks about the year of Jubilee, the slaves going free. And it meant a lot to me because I was in my seventh year of marriage. And it was also, I think, one of those 49th years. I remember people talking about it, uh, the previous Rosh Hashanah. And and then it had this whole thing of the land will lie fallow. And I remember sitting on this rock at sunrise in Johannesburg, like looking out and thinking, I just lived this. And I didn't even know it was written in my DNA from the beginning of time to have a rest like this. And it actually set me on a trajectory which allowed things to be planted, allowed things to be pulled up, allowed things to be cut down, allowed the land to be restored. You know, I, I think of my, that's, that's like an ongoing metaphor that I have 
with the Lord now that I am the land. I am the promised land. Yes, it's somewhere that we're going and that we inherit, but it's also I am the land that is promised to God. And he's clearing it. He's recovering it. He's restoring it. He's removing every hurt, every disappointment, every heartache, every everything from it so that the seed can go into the soil like it talks about in the New Testament that's soft. So that the seed can soft. grow. <laughs> I, love how she, I love how she says soft. <laughs> you know, and so it can grow, like so that the things that God wants to plant in our lives can actually grow so they don't get choked out or buried or dried up or taken by birds. Like, And it's it's this really deep process. So anyway, today I was thinking about it and I was just like, I don't want to seem religious or pious or it's not a cop-out for me to, to say like, when you ask me a question about how God rescued me or what he rescued me from to read scripture, because for me, scripture is all of the things I mentioned. It's Emmanuel, it's teaching, it's it's water, it's word, it's bread, it's nourishment, it's food, but it is also like, you know, it's circumcision, but it's it's also a record of humanity. It's a record of redemption. It's a record of rescue. It's a record of in a very, very concise, specific, it's it's amazing because it's concise, but it's also broad. Like it covers so many bases. It covers all of humanity in perpetuity. It covers like, you just think about like how many billions of people on the earth, they're all represented in this book. Like everyone's mm-hmm. represented somehow in this one book. It's a, It's the record of what it is to be human and how it is possible even in our humanity, to be rescued from our humanity, live a different way, a way that is free from, I mean, obviously we all go through things because we live on earth and it's fallen, but but we're not bound to those things necessarily. So I did want to read this, a couple of things, like the, the most succinct version for me or, or thing is in Exodus um, 6, 6 to 8. He says, um, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. And so when you say like, you know, just to synthesize this story of like, I had this terrible fear of loneliness of being alone, managing alone. How could I ever manage by myself? And God delivered me from that fear through that valley, through that shadow, by, by bringing me into a alone season. But the purpose of that alone season was a rescue in order to let me know that I belong. Mm. And it's ultimately the belonging that heals the fear. You know, the fear is that I don't belong. The fear is that I'm going to always be rejected. The fear is that I I can't manage by myself. I'm going to fall off the edge of a cliff and, you know, all these kinds of things. And God is like the, the point of everything. Like Jesus left heaven. He didn't. You know, I love in Philippians how it says he didn't claim it as something to be grasped, but he let it go in order to take a hold of us, in order to claim us. He has laid a claim. He staked a claim on the land. It's his possession. 
And so I think in that five years of just being like, you know, like I am the Lord's possession and he has really fought for me. He's rescued me. And it's a process. Like, you know, that's a really powerful process. It's like a five step. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will claim you. Then you will know me. Then I will give you an inheritance. And I think a lot of the time we're like, we jump straight from salvation to inheritance. And it's like, there is this process of, of allowing God to say, you belong to me. Hmm. And, and therefore you can go into your inheritance knowing that just like me, you cannot be bought with a price. You can't be bought. You can't be bought and sold ever again, which, which leads me to the other scripture that I met before. I, I met before. <laughs> I did kind of meet it. I said before of, um, it is Isaiah 52. And actually somebody gave me this scripture prophetically. They didn't know what I was going through. And it was, it was literally like I had just left Australia and returned to LA. Um, my ex-husband had just made it very clear. I'd had a season in it, you know, hanging around and trying to change his mind and all these sorts of things. And I'd come back to LA and um, I was giving somebody a, a lift to the airport. And on the way they just said, oh, somebody gave me this scripture once. And uh, I feel like God's giving it to you right now. I feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. It says um, deliverance for Jerusalem. Wake up. Wake up, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your beautiful clothes, O holy city of Jerusalem. For unclean and godless people will enter your gates no longer. Rise from the dust, O Jerusalem. <sighs> Sit in a place of honour. Remove the chains of slavery from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. When I sold you into exile, I received no payment. Now I can redeem you without having to pay for you. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt. Now they are oppressed by Syria. What is this? asks the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exultation. My name is blasphemed all day long, but I will reveal my name to my people and they will come to know its power. Then at last, they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. It's so beautiful. Like, it's so beautiful. Mm. And I think that is just such a powerful thing to to recognize that all along it's God who speaks to you all along in your years in the, in the, I mean, this particular wilderness I'm talking about is a beautiful wilderness, but you know, for those who kind of have moments of going astray or uncertainty or lapses in, in faith or courage or whatever it is, you know, we're all human. We're all going to have these chapters in our books where it's like, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't listening. We all like mm. sheep have gone astray. And I think, for my story, that was so powerful because I can look back even on the years where I used to say, and that's when I walked away from God. I can say, like, I recognize the voice of God even in those seasons. I recognize God speaking. Like, you know, even in, in the little way of telling the story of us meeting, like, oh, never mind, God, I'm going to meet somebody who has kids and I'll adopt those kids. Like, I recognize the voice of God in that. I recognize that verse. You will come to know that that was me. That was me. I love you. I'm leading you. I'm leading you out and I'm leading you. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's just really interesting to me, just this idea of 
most of what we do in turning from God or most of what we do in opposition to God isn't about wanting to turn from God or opposition to God or not wanting to recognize God. It's looking for belonging. And all the while, he's like, you belong. Like, yeah. come home. You belong. Come home. It's just really beautiful. He said something really. He said something really beautiful to me once, which is a very convicting statement. But you know, I'm an artist, and I think that's the sort of critical, not flaw, but um, wound or or Achilles heel of of a creative person is feeling different, feeling foreign, feeling outside, feeling alien, feeling this sense that you never really belong and you do see things differently and you do experience things in a very potent way that it doesn't seem like other people do as much maybe or you feel like you don't have as much control over your emotions or whatever. And, I mean, obviously you learn that with maturity, but um, hopefully. (laughs) But um, I think in that, I remember one time having this conversation In fact, it wasn't even a conversation with God. It was like, I didn't want to go to something. I think everyone assumes like actors and artists are really gregarious or or really extroverted because we're gregarious or, you know, it's really easy for us to talk because we're storytellers. And for me, that's not the case. It is for some people, but it's not for me, even though I seem to have just done a great job of talking on this. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Um, And I remember I was, you know, about to go to some social thing and I was having all this anxiety about it. I'm like, I don't want to go. And I just feel like all these, you know, I don't even remember what I was saying, just a lot of like insecurity and I didn't really fit in. And, you know, it was probably some kind of like church event or something that I was stressed about or like, I don't know how to be. And I don't really belong I, I I do remember I said that part of it like I don't really fit I don't really belong like and I remember really clearly I was quite confrontational and I love it when the Lord speaks to me like this like it feels like a little disciplinary kind of tap almost he said to me Peter belonging is not something you find it's something you bring and it was so powerful not just for me personally in that moment, but I believe to just even what I'm called to, like with other artists and in the industry that I'm in. And I mean, even for humanity in general, because like you said, babe, like most people feel on some level, like they have to earn the right to belong or they have to earn a place. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like for me, like one of the things that I feel like God's really, you know, trying to teach me about and mature me in and grow me in is this idea that, there has to be an internal architecture, a, a purposefully and intentionally carved space of rest and belonging that we as believers and temples of the living God carry with us everywhere we go because people are looking for belonging. And if you go to a space looking for them to make you feel like you belong, they're going to read Christ in that. <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, you don't belong neither. Okay. You know, like, mm-hmm. what does it mean? What does it mean to belong, to to have been claimed by God? Like, it's important to, I don't know what, what anybody's process is. For me, my process personally is very much steeped in meditation and um, contemplation and waiting and listening and all those kinds of things to let God, you know, we love him because he first loved us. And 
it's it reminds me of the feet washing. You know, we always want to do things for God. Like, no, Lord, I'll do it for you. Like Peter, you know, when when Jesus went to wash his feet. No, 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 I, I should be the one. I'll wash your feet. And the Lord is like, unless you let me do this for you, you can have no part with me. Hmm. You can't be one with me unless you let me serve you, unless you, how can we love God if we don't let him love us first? And I think maybe we could afford to, you know, move our focus from, (laughs) I'm going to say something controversial in this age, but from self-love and actually spend some time letting God love. Because I think that's where real love comes from. We don't have the capacity for it without eating daily, without drinking daily, without understanding like I'm chosen, I'm set apart, I'm beloved, I'm loved, I'm in his image. And I feel like, I mean, I need a reminder pretty frequently. <laughs> like I forget. It is like Paul said, like you walk away from it, you're like, I forget what I look like, you know. I forget, like God told me last year that he loves me, I'm chosen, and here I am, I'm performing for love again. Here I am, I think I'm going to get rejected again. Like it's one of those, I think that's why, part of why it needs to be a daily practice or or at the very least a weekly sort of quote-unquote Sabbath practice where we Mm -hmm. enter that place to just say like, God, I can't love you if I don't understand that you love me, if I don't come and have confession with you, not in some religious ceremonial way but in an honest way to confess the deep things of our heart to the Lord that's what relationship is that's what friendship is to just say like I'm I don't know if I'm doing okay and I can't see what you can see and I feel like I'm doing okay here but I'm not okay there and what do you think about this like what do you think about I don't know what it is yeah it's interesting because I'm I can't help but think about the prodigal son and the prodigal son goes out right he messes up all this stuff and he doesn't want to necessarily come home in his mind, he's thinking about his performance, his wastefulness, his selfishness, all that. He ends up going home because he knows he actually belongs there. And he's like, if I can just be a servant, if I can just be, if I can just, and the reality is he walks back into a place he belongs and the father is just like, yeah, you belong here. And it's just this reminder that Mm. our belonging can't be tied to our performance. And the only way we really know that is when we mess up, you know, with Western mindset, that's just kind of how we're, we're wired, right? US, mm-hmm. Australia, like this Western mindset Japan. of, yeah, just this mindset of earning our way to belonging. And uh, it's really interesting we got here. We prayed before we got on here about what we would talk about. We're on one very specific story, our story like about how we met. No, it's great. But like just this reality of like, you know, just being rescued of being, fear of being alone, rescued into like this belonging that now you just carry with you. And obviously, you know, you I try to carry it stumble. with me. <laughs> yeah, you, try to, you do carry it with you. You really do. And what's funny when you say you bring it to other people, when you bring that with you, ultimately you're bringing Jesus with you, which basically says, I love you because I love you. And that's, you know, he, we love him because he first loved us. Now I'm just pontificating on the thought you have. We love him well, because it, he first it, loved us. It also so says to other people, you belong. Yeah. Our responsibility then, our calling our purpose, our privilege is to carry God's belonging into mo- into places where people don't realize they belong, and they're looking yeah. for belonging. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, you might be asking yourself today, how does this tie to um, Christian parenting? And it's going to be a longer story, but ultimately, how it ties in is the reality that um, this woman, who um, in ways um, 
was afraid of being alone is about to not be alone by a long stretch because she's in she's inheriting a whole family with me and my four girls and um it's a beautiful story we're gonna oh sorry you you keep trying to wrap it up and i keep well yeah you got one more thought that you 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 go with just what you were saying about that it it, you know again this feet washing thing like i've been thinking about it lately because it happened right before you know the last supper right before the crucifixion like and Jesus said this thing, like, do you understand what I have done for you? It's such an interesting thing to kind of contemplate. You know, we're going from glory to glory and we don't want to be trapped in the past, but we can't lose sight of remembering, which I think is what communion is about as well, like what God has done for us. And I don't know, like yesterday or the day before I was just sitting and I was thinking about that feet washing, I was thinking about, we. I, I told you about it in in um, the the final chapters of the, the Gospel of John where, you know, Mary comes to Peter and John and, and says he's gone, the body is gone, and it says the two set out at the same time, like running towards the tomb, but the, the one that Jesus loved, being John, um, outran Peter and, you know, was thinking about, I've heard this talk before, it's not my own idea, but I was kind of just meditating on it again. Um, This idea that like, as they set out to run towards the tomb, what slowed Peter down in that run is not that he was slower. I mean, he was a fisherman, he was a fit, able-bodied guy. He was probably a faster runner. I don't know, like, but he slowed down and John got there first. And this idea that like what slows us down in coming to God is the fact that we just betrayed him. Like Peter's running to that tomb and he's like, oh my gosh, like you could imagine what he's thinking. Like he said he would rise again. Like, what does that mean? The body's gone. Like, is there a chance we're going to see him? And in that process, he starts slowing down. Am I going to see him again? What's he going to, he's going to know like remembering the rooster, remembering the fear of being associated with Jesus. Like that's an awful feeling. I've lived that where you're afraid of being associated with Christ when people accuse, like especially when they come at you in an accusatory way and you know it's a negative, like, and you're like, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I love God. <laughs> like, uh, <sighs> and, and afterwards there's this sting because, you know, and it, and it makes us slow to come to him. It makes us slow to run towards him like a little child, which is what the heart of John was like. But what's really beautiful is very shortly after that, Peter gets to the tomb. It, it actually talks about how John gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't go inside. He waits at the threshold of the tomb. And then actually Peter, though he runs more slowly, eventually because you could imagine there would be a moment where he would be like, I'm just going to turn away or I'm just going to wait and hear the report from John, which is what he did at the Last Supper. He said to John, hey, you ask him. Hey, you do it. He loves you. You ask him. And it's this beautiful moment I was thinking about of like transformation for Peter where he doesn't wait and he doesn't say like, I'll just stop here and wait for John to tell me, to give me the report. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to go see for myself. I'm going to ask for myself. I'm going to be brave and forget the record of my wrong, forget the record of my disappointment because God forgets it. God removes it. And that not that what he said? Isn't that why we were with him? Isn't that what he taught us? And actually it says that Peter arrives at the tomb and rushes in. 
And he actually goes into the tomb, like, without stopping at the threshold, goes in, he sees the linens and everything. And I don't know, I was just, like, thinking about it the other day and I was like, that's such a beautiful picture of how we are to approach God. Like what you were saying about the prodigal son. And it, we do slow down but just keep running. Like, I don't know, I would say that to parents. I would say that to anybody. I would say that to parents facing anything with their kids. I would say that to parents facing anything in their marriage. I would say that to any human being on the earth right now, like, you are received, you belong. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to say, or one of the things, you know, because he's so multidimensional in everything that he says and does. But one of the things, you know, I was thinking about this thing, like when he was washing their feet and said, do you understand what I've done for you here today? And I, I was thinking, you know, bearing in mind this transformational moment for Peter, I was thinking about Judas. And I was thinking about how Jesus washed Judas's feet. And in that moment, how Judas's heart must have just been racing. Like he's already, he's already got, probably got the silver in his pocket. And I was thinking like, what is the condition of your heart where Jesus washes your feet and says, and looks in your eyes and says, do you understand what I've done for you here today? And yet your heart can't face him or... And I'm not saying it's wrong or whatever. I'm just like, that is a critical place for a human being to be in that moment. Like, I'm, I mean, this is part of me as an actor. I read the Bible like a script. I'm like, I wonder what would have happened if this happened. Like if Judas had just been like, yeah. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I just did this. I just did this terrible thing. And Jesus would have been like, I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, you can posit whatever things, but it's just like that thing of what you said about the prodigal. Like we always have this opportunity if we will let him, if we'll let him, if we'll let him love us first, wash us first, be intimate yeah. with us in that way. Yeah. It's uh, I, I can't help but think, and I, we're going to end here. John chapter one just talks about, That's you know, you Jesus think. coming. What's that? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You said we're going to um, end here, and I said that's what you think. <laughs> no, we're going to end here. We have to end here. I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> John, you see why I love her, guys. Like, she's really a deep well. I mean it. I'm not making a joke. Um, but, he, uh, you know, talking about Jesus coming into the world, and it says, chapter 1, verse 10 says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Like just this reality that like the requirement is receiving him. Like wow. beautiful. for those who did receive him, which means believing in his name. Anyway, it's funny because um, I've read a different translation that says for those who were not ashamed to take his name, yeah. which is, yeah, receiving anyway. Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. do that. The one thing I'm going to have to learn how to do is how to stop me because we're we're going to have another we're going to have, to have another episode of obviously, but to tell like another Sorry. part of our story here. But beautiful stuff, deep well, Peter Sargent. This is just I think this is the first of a couple of conversations to tell our story and really talk about some more ways that God's rescued um, that God's rescued Peter because it really is beautiful and in rescuing her, He's actually rescued me, which I'm really grateful for. And mm. one of the things that we've said, as she kind of coined this, is that. Uh, her redemption is my redemption. My redemption is her redemption. How God's using all these different things to redeem different different people, to redeem different people, like just in his story, in our story. So anyway, first of a couple conversations, Peter Sargent, thank you for joining me. 
literally and and sort of more i guess more figuratively in the sense that you're on the canadian side of the border i'm on the u.s side we will be together in just a couple days maybe the next conversation we'll have will be in person maybe not i'm not sure here but anyway um yeah thank you i love you i love you too thank you Bye. bye